I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Fifty years ago, I wrote the oral decongestant phenylephrine was ineffective. Now the FDA finally admits it doesn't work. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. What took the FDA so long to recognize that oral phenylephrine is no more effective than placebo? Are there other over-the-counter drugs that may not be as good as you think? Cough medicine containing dextromethorphan is more controversial than most people realize. What about fever reducers such as aspirin, acetaminophen, or ibuprofen? Do they do anything to help people overcome colds or flu? Call in your questions about non-prescription products. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, the pros and perils of over-the-counter drugs. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, public health authorities are urging Americans to get vaccinated against an expected winter uptick of COVID infections. All three vaccines available this fall target the XBB variant that dominated when the makers started production. XBB is no longer the leading COVID variant, but the vaccines are expected to protect against current strains of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Unfortunately, we have very little data on actual effectiveness. In addition to Pfizer and Moderna, the Novavax vaccine has now been approved. It uses different technology based on proteins like much older vaccines have been. Pharmacy chains and stores like Costco, Publix, Giant, and Stop and Shop are offering the shot. For decades, doctors have focused primarily on LDL cholesterol as a determinant of cardiovascular disease. Scientists knew that lipoprotein A, also known as LP little a, was an important risk factor, but physicians rarely ordered laboratory tests for it. Unlike familial hypercholesterolemia, which is uncommon, elevated LPA may affect up to 25% of the population. Drug companies have been developing new compounds that will be able to lower elevated levels of the lipoprotein. Consequently, testing now seems more relevant. A study published in JAMA Cardiology confirms that people with high amounts of lipoprotein A in their bloodstreams have parents, siblings, and children who are also likely to have elevated LPA levels. As a result, the authors recommend testing close relatives whenever someone discovers they have worrisome quantities of LP little a. One of the consequences of the pandemic was the adoption of virtual visits for primary health care. People have differing reactions to seeing their doctors in a Zoom-like setting. A new study shows that telemedicine visits are just as good as in-person office visits for most primary care problems. The study, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, was based on analysis of records from more than 1.5 million patients of Kaiser Permanente in 2021. Roughly half of the interactions between patients and providers were in person. The others were split between video and telephone visits. The investigators found that rates of follow-up, emergency department visits, and hospitalization was low for all visits. 
There were a few more follow-up office visits within a week of telephone or video visits. In addition, video and telephone visits resulted in slightly fewer prescriptions of medication. Overall, however, the differences between these interactions were minimal. Wild saffron has been used for over 3,000 years to ease inflammation. In the early 19th century, a French chemist isolated the active ingredient, which became known as colchicine. It's been used by physicians for hundreds of years to treat gout and calm inflammation. In recent years, researchers have reported that this very old drug could reduce the risk of heart attacks and strokes. Throughout this time, colchicine has been available inexpensively for pennies a pill. Then, in 2006, the FDA decided that old, inexpensive generic drugs like colchicine had not been actually officially approved by the agency. It created an unapproved drugs initiative that allowed pharmaceutical manufacturers to market colchicine under the brand name Colchris for $5 a pill. Other companies could no longer sell generic colchicine. In June, the FDA granted Agefa Pharma rights to mark this medication under the brand name Ladoco to reduce the risk for heart attacks and strokes. The price? $21 per pill. In its efforts to improve the evidence for this ancient treatment, the FDA may have put colchicine out of reach for many patients. Dementia takes a devastating toll on people's ability to organize, learn, or even manage ordinary activities of daily life. It also places a strain on family members, both physically and emotionally. A new study documents the financial burden associated with dementia. Out-of-pocket medical costs were substantially greater, and median wealth dropped precipitously for people diagnosed with dementia. And that's the health news for the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. Today, We're talking about the pros and the perils of over-the-counter medications. How well do they work? How carefully does the FDA review such products? Can you rely on drug labels to tell you what you need to know? Soon, we'll open the phone lines for your questions and comments. You can tell us about your favorite over-the-counter drugs or the ones you really worry about. The number is 888-472-472. Three three six six. But first, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Stephanie Ferreri. She is the Henry L. Smith and Dr. James L. Olson Distinguished Professor in Pharmacy Practice and Chair of the Division of Practice Advancement and Clinical Education at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. The UNC School of Pharmacy is the number one pharmacy school in the country as ranked by U.S. News and World Report. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Ferreri. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us today. Our lines are open for your questions about over-the-counter medicines. That number again, 888-472-3366. You can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com, or call 888-472-3366. 66. Well, let's start our conversation today with the decongestant 
phenylephrine. It's found in hundreds of over-the-counter products, and Americans spend an estimated $1.8 billion a year on it. Fifty years ago, phenylephrine's been around for a long, long time, about 100 years, something like that. And 50 years ago, Joe wrote in the first edition of the People's Pharmacy that this oral decongestant was ineffective in the doses available in non-prescription cold medicines. Just last month, the FDA agreed that orally administered phenylephrine is not effective as a nasal decongestant. What's going on? How come the FDA is so, so slow? Well, I'd like to read something to you, if I may, Dr. Ferreri. It's um, from the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, two of your colleagues from University of Florida, Dr. Randy Hatton and Dr. Leslie Handel, said, how can an ineffective drug discovered nearly 100 years ago and marketed since the 1930s still be on the market, despite decades of drug experts like us prodding the FDA to do something? It boggles the mind. And worse than that, this is only the tip of the iceberg. This decongestant is like many drugs on the market that don't really provide relief. That comes as a shock because we think, oh, the FDA approves everything. It's all perfect. It's all going to work. What went wrong? Yeah, so I want to start with a story about um, when I was pra- when I'm practicing pharmacist. So I'm a pharmacist. I deal with patients all the time in the over-the-counter aisles. And I remember back in 2005, 2006, if you remember, that's when the Combat Methamphetamine Act occurred, and a lot of the pseudoephedrine products that were available for as a nasal decongestant were no longer available in front of the counter. They got moved behind the counter. So they're still available. However, they're now, you have to ask the pharmacist or ask the technician. So what that did at that moment is that opened the market for phenylephrine to be the only over-the-counter oral decongestant in front of the counter. And I heard a lot of people, a lot of my patients would come in and they're like, this Sudafed doesn't work as well as the other Sudafed. What's going on? And, uh-huh. I, and I would say to them, they changed the active ingredient in that pseudoephedrine product. It's no longer pseudoephedrine. It's now phenylephrine. And as a pharmacist, I heard all this anecdotal evidence when that was going on. And I had to re-educate my patients to ask for the decongestant that was behind the counter. So pharmacists have known for a long time that phenylephrine does not work. Um, and and it's, un- it's unfortunate that that was the only readily available decongestant that was in front of the counter for people to get. And yet it's available in literally dozens, if not hundreds of products, very popular products. If we mentioned their names, everybody would go, really? Well, Sudafed is a great example. It's a very well-known a brand name, and it obviously, when it had pseudoephedrine in it, it was, you know, easy to understand. And it still does have pseudoephedrine in it if you ask for the, Correct. if you ask the pharmacist, but you can't just pick it up off the shelf and buy it. Right. And then where the confusion came in for our patients is that they changed the name from Sudafed to Sudafed PE. 
And so the PE stood for phenylephrine. So that's what I would start to tell my patients. I said, don't look for the one that says Sudafed PE. Look for the one that's plain Sudafed. And it's very confusing. They call them brand name extensions, where they use a popular brand name. We're talking about Sudafed right now. And they change it slightly, and they change the active ingredient. And that's what confuses patients then, because what they used to take no longer works. And this is the case with oral phenylephrine. And we as pharmacists have known oral phenylephrine is an ineffective nasal decongestant. But let's make one point clear. You can still buy phenylephrine in a nasal spray and it actually works. You can. So I think that is one thing I want to make sure people are aware of, that phenylephrine as a nasal spray, as an eye drop, they work wonderfully. It's just when it's an oral that it doesn't work. And that's because of the way it works through the body. When it's a topically applied directly on your eye or directly on your nose, it works wonderfully as a decongestant. When it has to go through your GI tract and do this fancy thing called first pass metabolism, that's when it loses its decongestant abilities and no longer can affect the nose. So um, so that's, so that, this is where the FDA is in a tricky place because it's not that phenylephrine is ineffective as a decongestant, it's ineffective as an oral decongestant. Now, you said something that I want to be very careful about. Topical decongestants like phenylephrine, and there are several others. Oxymetazoline is another one. They work, as you said, wonderfully well. And that's part of the problem. They work so well that we want to keep using them beyond three days. What happens if you use a topical decongestant for your stuffy nose for a week or two? That's a great point. And again, another thing as a pharmacist that I always have to tell patients that those topical, the sprays, the drops, that's what the things that you're spraying directly in your nose or Put, dropping directly in your nose, those topical decongestants can only be used for three days, no more than five. Three to five is the magic number. Because? Because after that, your de decongestant actually gets worse. It's called rebound congestion. And so when someone uses it over and over again, it actually is doing the opposite and causing more congestion. And that's actually a harder thing to actually fix than the original congestion that you had. So the magic number is three days. Uh, and honestly, if you're taking it for a cold uh, during cold season, usually your nasal decongestant only lasts for three days. So you should only be using it for three days. And if you need it more than three days, something else is going on. Well, our lines are open for your questions about over-the-counter drugs. 888-472-3366 is the number. You can also email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Again, what is that number? 888-472-3366. And in their article in the New York Times, your colleagues at the University of Florida School of Pharmacy mentioned that maybe there's some other over-the-counter cold remedies that might not live up to expectations. Cough suppressants, and almost all of them contain... Dextromethorphan. DM. <laughs> so if you see DM, that's dextromethorphan. And they have what we call a mucolytic, guaifenesin, which I won't even attempt to spell. What's the deal? I mean, I think virtually every cold and cough remedy on the market contains 
either dextromethorphan and or guaifenesin. Except for your cough drops, which may have menthol. Right. And what? And I've been when I've been teaching uh, self care and non prescription medicines for many times, and I'm also an editor on a handbook for a handbook of non prescription medicines. This is always a controversial part when you're te- when you're writing this or teaching this to students: the guaifenesin and the um, dextromethorphan. Dextromethorphan, um, and they're used in combination, and that's always the question I get. You're trying. That's to, weird. It's yeah. very weird. It's very very weird that because you have you're stopping a cough and. Trying to get that mucus up. Right. So you're, it sort of sounds weird that you're trying to use an expectorant to get the mucus up, but then you're suppressing the cough with the dextromethorphan. So it makes no sense to have them used in combination. And I'll start with the guaifenesin because a lot of times people will use that. And, it, and that one can be appropriate. However, it's controversial. I usually tell people water. Water is a great mucolytic. Drink plenty of fluids. If you drink plenty of fluids, you're going to um, loosen those secretions and loosen the mucus, and that Chicken will help soup. you cop it off. Chicken soup, humidifiers, vaporizers, water, tea, all those things will, will do wonderfully to help loosen your mucus secretions. The guaifenesin, first of all, tastes awful. Oh, mm. so does dextromethorphan. Yes. Very bitter. And second of all, you need such high doses of guaifenesin for it to work that I that's usually a medicine I just don't like to recommend. And the dextromethorphan... If you need a cough suppressant, um, you really you don't want a cough suppressant because you want to get the mucus up. And but if the cough is what's keeping you awake, you can do other things to help you sleep. Um, there's some diphenhydramine is a great over-the-counter medicine that has some cough suppressant properties, but will also help you sleep. And so when you're just are having a difficult time, that's usually my go-to. We're going to come back to diphenhydramine. Yes, I'm sure after we will. the break because <laughs> we've got lots to say about that. DPH is the way it's abbreviated, and you will find it in a lot of the PM pain relievers. So Tylenol PM, Advil PM, it's all diphenhydramine. But after the break, we're going to invite you to call in about the non-prescription drugs you use the most. What about aspirin for the heart? Are you using it or have you given up on it? Our lines are open at 888-472- 3366. If the lines are full, email us radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 888 472 3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs dot com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. 
It supports five areas of brain performance all in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today we're talking about the pros and perils of OTC drugs. You can join our conversation, 888-472-3366. Here in the studio, we are fortunate to have Dr. Stephanie Ferrari. She is ready to help us figure out how to use non-prescription drugs wisely. She's the Henry L. Smith and Dr. James L. Olson Distinguished Professor in Pharmacy Practice and Chair of the Division of Practice Advancement and Clinical Education at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. And did I mention our lines are open for your questions and your stories at 888-472-3366, or you can send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And we said just before the break we were going to talk about diphenhydramine. I think more people will have heard of it by its brand name, Benadryl. So, Dr. Ferrari, tell us about diphenhydramine. It has pluses. It also has some minuses. Let's talk about both. We'll start with the pluses. We'll start with the positives. So especially in cough and cold, I think where diphenhydramine is very helpful is if someone's having difficulty sleep or can't fall asleep because they have a cough or want to get some rest. Um, and honestly, that's the best thing for cough and cold is rest. And so if you need a little bit of help, diphenhydramine or plain Benadryl will be helpful. The cons of Benadryl or diphenhydramine is they're mixed in so many different products. And one concern I usually have is as a pharmacist, I like to recommend single entity products, meaning um, Joe had mentioned before these things that have PM at the end, like Tylenol PM. And so the PM stands for nighttime. So Basically, you're getting the active ingredient in Tylenol, and you're also getting the active ingredient diphenhydramine. That's two ingredients. As a pharmacist, I don't like that. I want to know what am I putting in my body, and I only want, to want one ingredient to be put in my body. And, um, and so that's, I only search. If you need something for sleep, use just plain diphenhydramine. If you're not, that use just plain diphenhydramine. The other kind of diphenhydramine is as we get older, there's a lot of side effects with diphenhydramine. Um, and usually for patients who are 60, 65 and older, I recommend that I do not want to um, use those because it can cause confusion, it can cause uh, dryness, it can cause lots of bad side effects with patients who are older. So that's one question before you put in your body, make sure you're it's appropriate for you. And even if you're younger, it can have a lot of drug interactions too. So make sure that it doesn't interact with your other medications that you're taking. So proceed with caution before you put that in your body. We will talk a bit about anticholinergic drugs yep. in a bit, which is what Benadryl has some activity and why that's a possible problem for older people. But Terry, let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Woody in Roxborough, North Carolina. Hey, Woody. What's on your mind? Hey, how are you? How are you doing? I just wanted to uh, tax your memory. Uh, you came to my counter some years ago. I was a checkout cashier at a popular uh, home improvement store, and we talked about prednisone. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, Joe, Joe uh, reminded me or, or mentioned how harmful it is to the bones, and I think he used the word melts your bones or something like that. So I've always... Uh, looked at and admired you uh, for your wisdom and your knowledge, and I'm just here to say thank you 
Uh, I do not want to take any more pregnancy <laughs> and uh, look at some other ther- uh, therapies. But my question today uh, is about D3. I've been taking D3 over the counter, and that the conversation is not as, uh, as open to that. I, I wanted to know your uh, your feelings on uh, taking that uh, supplement uh, for boosting the immune system. I have some immune deficiencies and. I've been taking it for a long time. And uh, could you talk about that and some of the benefits and some of the cons, if you will? Sure, Woody. Both Joe and I do take a vitamin D3 supplement because we don't spend so much time out in the sun that we are confident that we uh, uh, have enough D3 from exposing our skin to the sun. Dr. Ferrari, what would be a good dose of vitamin D3 over-the-counter for the average person, perhaps like Woody? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, that Woody, there's a lot of questions I probably would want you to follow up with the, your pharmacist or follow mm-hmm. up with your doctor and make sure that what you're using the D3 for is appropriate. However, to Terry's point, D3 is a, probably a, a good fat-soluble vitamin to take because you need it in order to um, help with bone protection. You need to help with with lots of things. So typically uh, about 400 to 800 international units, up to 1,000 international units is probably my starting place for- Per day. Per per, Mm -hmm. per day, per day, correct. Per day when when you don't have a definitive diagnosis of what you're taking D3 for. it's so easy to ask for a blood test. Mm -hmm. And you can find out what your D3 levels are. And Terry, what would be a reasonable level to um, to have for 5-hydroxy... 25. 25. It's 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And a uh, reasonable level is, well, you definitely want to be above 20. I think it's nanograms per milliliter. Is that right? I can't remember the units, but 20 is the yeah. magic number. <laughs> 20 is the magic number. And, and, and going up to maybe 60 or 70, you really don't want to be up around 100. That's probably too high. So there you go, Woody, and thank you so much for the call. And let me just add this. Dr. Norton Hadler was a professor at the University of North Carolina for many years. He's probably emeritus now or retired, but he's he's the one who told us 20, 30 years ago that large doses of prednisone for long periods of time could melt your bones. And that's why I told Woody about that. Uh, But prednisone is an incredibly valuable drug. Oh, yes. And when I had... um, hearing loss in one ear uh, just disappeared, sensor neural hearing loss, the prednisone brought it back. And so I am very grateful for prednisone, even though it's a double-edged sword. Where are we going next, Terry? Oh, we're going to Wilmington, North Carolina, to talk to Claude, who has a very relevant question for the conversation we were having a few minutes and ago. And before we go to Claude, what's the number, Terry? The number is 888 472 3366. And if you're having trouble getting through, you can always email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. So, Claude, what's on your mind yeah. when it comes to pseudoephedrine? Yes, hi. Um, we were wondering why did uh, pharmaceutical companies change the formulary from pseudoephedrine to phenylephrine in the first place? Good question, Claude. Thanks. Dr. Ferrari. Happy to take this one. Thank you, Claude, for the question. So this happened in the mid-2000s, about 2005 to 2006, where um, the pseudoephedrine is actually a, is, is a 
active ingredient that is used to make methamphetamine. And so in the middle 2000s, there were lots of methamphetamine labs across the country, and pseudoephedrine was one of those active ingredients that was used within those labs. So to combat the methamphetamine abuse, they actually limited the amount of pseudoephedrine that patients could purchase, and they moved the pseudoephedrine behind the counter. So it's so that was the main reason, basically, that they changed the formulations. They changed the formulations that pseudoephedrine wasn't readily as readily available so that it could not be used to make methamphetamine. So what they did is they basically, unfortunately, punished the greater population by moving pseudoephedrine behind the counter, limiting its purchase. You had to show your driver's license to purchase it. And then they changed the formulation to phenylephrine that was readily available for everyone to receive um, over the counter. By doing so, unfortunately, they made an they made an ineffective medication more readily available and the effective medication was moved behind the counter. So, just want to tell you Claude that you can still get pseudoephedrine and this is something I tell I'm going to pick on my husband a little bit right now because when he comes home with a cough and cold medicine, he's like, oh, I bought some medicine. I'm like, you bought the wrong one. You have to go <laughs> ask the pharmacist behind the counter and get the pseudoephedrine from behind the counter. It's readily available. You just know you have to ask behind the counter for the pseudoephedrine. Dr. Ferrari, that does bring up a, a, a question I have. You mentioned talking to patients about over-the-counter medicines. And every time I've been in the pharmacy, the pharmacist is way, way behind the counter. The people out front are pharmacy techs. And there's nobody walking around in the aisles where I can say, well, which one of these should I take? How do you get advice from your pharmacist? Yes. So, Terry, that, that, thank you for bringing that up. And I think when, when I was working in pharmacy, I liked to walk the aisles. Unfortunately, there it's a different day now, and pharmacists probably cannot walk the aisles as much anymore. I will say, however, though, the technicians are usually the first point of contact. Don't be afraid to say, I need to talk to the pharmacist. So you can go up to that technician and say, I have a pharmacist question, and they will pull that pharmacist over. Um, I That's the best part of my day, actually, is when I get to talk to patients, when I get to counsel about medications, when I can provide patient education that makes sure that you know what you're taking and you're taking it correctly. And sometimes technicians can help. They can, like, you have a, if you want to buy pseudoephedrine, you don't have to talk to a pharmacist for that unless you have a question, and they can get that for you. So there are some things that technicians can do. We're actually elevating the level of technicians within the pharmacy that they can serve as the assistants, and they know their scope. If they don't have the answers to the question, they will pull the pharmacist in. So I know that a lot of people say, the pharmacist just looks so busy. I don't want to bother them. That's what they're there for. Well, Please they are bother. busy. But <laughs> they are busy, but that's what they're there for. And I, and um, they will definitely be happy to help you. And um, there, there's lots of, and especially with non-prescription medications, that's usually the part of my job I enjoyed the most. I've got a question from Jim. He says, I am so frustrated with anti-diarrheal OTC packaging. We find loperamide, and you'll have to tell us the brand name, to be very effective when needed. But why on earth can we only find it packaged in blister packs? Mm -hmm. Removing the little tablets from those blister packs isn't easy. And it used to be a lot more convenient to buy loperamide. Again, loperamide was, again, they used to be available in um, bottles. Right. And they were not in blister packs. Unfortunately, People were abusing loperamide. And Whoa! 
It's a diarrhea medicine. Wait, they were taking them for weight loss medications. They were taking them um, for, they were abusing loperamide. And so, Jim, to your point, what they did to try to deter people from doing that is they put them in the annoying little blister pack. So you have to pick them out one by one by one. To make it harder to abuse them. To make it harder to abuse them. And so for people who use them correctly, probably like you, Jim, it gets more frustrating, but it's a deterrent for other people to not abuse them. Well, we've got a question from Rick in Beaufort, South Carolina. Rick, did I get that pronunciation right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Go ahead with your question, please. (laughs) Um, Rick Hamilton, I have uh, been using Benadryl to fight... um, seasonal allergies, just, you know, the nose drip, and it seems to work pretty well. But um, when you mentioned about confusion, um, you know, I don't know if it's a combination of just uh, my age or what, but, you know, you don't know where you put your glasses last or your car keys. And uh, so I would investigate an alternative, but I didn't hear you mention any alternatives to Benadryl. Well... That opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? So we're talking about diphenhydramine, Benadryl, that's also the PM and all those over-the-counter PM pain relievers, as now, I mentioned. R- Rick is taking it for his He's taking his it for his allergies. Nose. Right. And um, there was sort of a little mention there about, you know, car keys and stuff. So Maybe forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Diphenhydramine used for a short period of time, is highly effective. It's old. It's been around for decades. It really works when you have allergies. But it also is very sedating. It can make you drowsy, which is why it's in those nighttime pain relievers. But it has anticholinergic activity. What does that mean, and why would somebody be a little concerned about it? And what are the alternatives? So I want to start with the alternatives for Rick, because that's, I always want to answer someone's question first. So, Rick, regarding if you're truly taking Benadryl for seasonal allergies, um, again, like Joe said, usually Benadryl is great for short term, three to five days, three to seven days. Seasonal allergies, you're usually taking it for longer than that three to seven days. And there are wonderful alternatives that you can use for seasonal allergies. There's something called a second-generation antihistamine. Benadryl or diphenhydramine is a first-generation antihistamine, which we're going to talk about those anticholinergic side effects, the things about confusion and forgetfulness. So that's those are side effects of the first-generation generation antihistamines. Second-generation antihistamines do not have those side effects. They are not as sedating. Um, they don't have the same side effects, but they are effective for seasonal allergies. And so there's lots of them available over the counter. And you can take them for, again, the whole season. Sometimes take them. people take them for the whole year. Um, things like loratadine, which is Claritin or Allegra, or, um, the, or there's other ones also available over the counter. So if you're truly taking them for seasonal allergies, that is probably what I would recommend you transition to would be a second generation antihistamine. And then you can sort of figure out is the forgetfulness related to your car keys really related to the medication or is it just that you have a lot on your mind and you're <laughs> that you have a lot on your mind. <laughs> so I hope that helps, Rick. And, you know, I, I do, I do want to put in a little plug for an over the counter drug that nobody's ever heard of. It's called chromalin. 
It's known as nasal chrome. It is a nasal spray. Highly effective. It um, it kind but of calms down those... Um, the mast cells. Mast cells that are responsible for the histamine and some of the other nasty things that cause stuffiness. You have to use it regularly and... It's a and start before the season. Before the season really gets going. But it's incredibly safe and surprisingly effective, and nobody's ever heard about it. So nasal chrome, very few side effects. We have an email from Pam. Dr. Ferreri, um, she says, is it really bad to take Tylenol arthritis every day? I have low back pain. It really helps, but I'm concerned about my liver. Also, I am taking GABA. Great question, Pam. So when I always hear, so back pain is probably the number one reason that people come into the pharmacy. Pain, cough and cold, and then GI, so heartburn and, and, and constipation are the number one reasons people come into the pharmacy. So when I hear someone have that they have acute pain, I'm all about Tylenol. When someone has chronic pain, I really want to get to the heart of What's causing the pain? What else can we do? Are there other non-drug measures we can use, such as physical therapy, occupational therapy? Um, Are there things that we can use, like heat, ice? And if it truly is chronic pain, I really want to make sure that you're taking the dose that's appropriate for you for the acetaminophen, which is usually no, I try to aim for three grams of of acetaminophen a day. You can probably go up to four grams, but because I have to look at your other medications and if you're on gabapentin and other medications, I do get concerned about looking at your liver. So that's where a doctor can look at your liver function tests and see if you're okay. We are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about how do you select laxatives. What about pink Pepto-Bismol and Alka-Seltzer or Metamucil? Do you worry about those side effects? How can you learn what you need to be taking? Our lines are open for you, 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoflavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD. 15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. 
made with a proven concentrated flavanol extract. More information at cocovia.com. Today we are talking about the benefits and the risks of over-the-counter medicines. Which ones do you use most often? What would you like to know about them? Our guest today is Dr. Stephanie Ferreri, the Henry L. Smith and Dr. James L. Olson Distinguished Professor in Pharmacy Practice and Chair of the Division of Practice Advancement and Clinical Education at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. Our lines are open for your questions and your comments at 888-472-3366. I see all our lines are full, so you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And we are going to talk to Mike in Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Mike. Hi. Thank you very much. Hi, Mike. What's on your mind? Well, uh, infants, um, acidum infants, single ingredient. We have a product that's been on the market for, you know, decades, and um, there's been a lot of... of, uh, talk about its safety and efficacy. Um, the actual instructions on the drug, if you see for two to four years of age, is to use weight if possible, otherwise use age. Well, the dosing is 5 ml for two to four years of age. Therefore, the product sits on the market and sits on the shelf, it has one dose at 5 ml, and it's instructing you to give it by weight or age if possible because it's more precise. So under the FDA's own guidelines and regulations, that would be misbranded and should be removed from the shelf. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. But it continues to sit there. So so let's just review this a little bit. We're talking about a pain reliever or a fever reducer. Right, Dr. Ferreri? We are. And Mike, I am so happy you brought up this because we talked earlier about older adults and side effects with older adults. The other patient population, when I think about non-prescription medicines, are the younger patients, so less than six years of age, so our pediatric patients. And the drug labeling or drug facts labeling is shady at best when it comes to under six. And what do we do? Because under six, a four-year-old could be, you know, 100 percentile of weight and a four-year-old could also be 10 percent percentile of weight. So how do you base dose on age knowing that a four-year-old can, the weight can greatly vary? So Mike, you bring up a great point that as a pharmacist, I always dose based on weight, not on age. So that drug facts labeling, I... Oh, drives me crazy because that's when I always want a caregiver, a parent to come talk to the pharmacist to make sure they have the right drug dosing for acetaminophen. And I'll also add ibuprofen um, for our pediatric patients on there because what's on the label doesn't always match what that parent or caregiver should be giving that um, child less than six years of age. So please, 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 Mike and everyone else listening, talk to the pharmacist about what the right dosing is for your child less than six years of age for either ibuprofen, which is usually um, Advil or Motrin, or for acetaminophen, which is usually Tylenol. And, you know, I really do think it it deserves a little caution because people have heard Tylenol for decades. You know, hospitals trust Tylenol. Why shouldn't you? Everybody thinks it's super safe. And yet acetaminophen is in a lot of different ingredients, including allergy medicines, including cold and cough remedies, including headache remedies, including nighttime pain relievers. And you can overdose on acetaminophen. And when you do, it's not pretty. 
That is very true. Um, it, it's And again, that, I gave the guidelines earlier of three to four grams per day for acetaminophen. So that's typically, and acetaminophen is hidden in many some products because they're in combination products, which is why I like to use those single entity products over the counter. So again, make sure that you read the labels. And we did get an email from John who says, ibuprofen and other NSAIDs are powerful drugs, but... They can cause ulcers, kidney problems, and other side effects. We tend to not read labels. In fact, uh, there's an article that says about half of us don't even bother to read the label or the dosing information. Why are the NSAIDs, these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, like naproxen, which is found in Aleve, um, why are they potential problems if we take too much too long? So I'm going to start with you. Um, you. You said 50% of patients read the label. It's actually probably only about 20% of oh patients my. that read, read the label. So it's even less. One in five people usually read the label. And it's so important that you read the label because there's information on there about dosing. There's information on there about special populations like pregnancy and older adults and drug interactions. So reading those labels before you put them in your body is so, so important. Um, and I forgot what your, oh, ibuprofen was your question that you asked me about, about the side effects. Ibuprofen is really effective when it comes to be a painkiller. However, it is not without side effects. If It can lead to bleeding. It can lead to ulcers. It can lead to... Um, Lots of, of heartburn. It can lead to so many different things that um, it can lead to kidney function actually getting worse also. Speaking of kidney function. Well, speaking of kidney function, even reading the label doesn't always tell you what the negative impact of your over-the-counter medicine may be. We checked out the label for Prilosec OTC yesterday because we were looking at the medical literature, which says that if you take omeprazole, which is Prilosec OTC, for an extended period of time, uh, it can affect your kidney function, make it worse. There is nothing on that label, even though you do, you might have to get out your magnifying glass to actually read the print on the box. Um, if you read every word, it does not tell you about kidney function, or a lot of other potential side effects of PPI use. It does tell you not to use it long term. It says you can use it every, you can use it for two weeks every four months, but you shouldn't use it more than that. And that's also true of some of the competitors. So Prevacid and Nexium, they all say just two weeks. Unless you talk to your doctor. Now, if you talk to your doctor and your doctor says, fine, well, then it, it's on her or him to be monitoring your kidney function. But I don't know how well they do that for an over-the-counter drug. And what you're bringing up is a very good point because when things get um, marketed over the counter, there are over-the-counter labeling. So the drug facts labeling, which for this case, the PPIs, all the ones you mentioned, they're only marketed for two weeks without a physician's supervising you. If a physician supervises you, you can take them longer than two weeks. And you're right. That's making the assumption that they are checking you for labs, that they're looking for those drug interactions. So just because you take a medicine over the counter doesn't always assume that it's safe. Well, or And that's why you need to follow up with your 
doctor or follow up with your pharmacist to make sure that if you're taking it long term or with other medicines, that it is right for you. That is such an important message. You know, I think most people aren't aware of the fact that AstraZeneca just recently paid, was it 200? 425 million. Million dollars. 425 million dollars to settle over 10,000 lawsuits about kidney function and kidney disease associated with, with these proton pump inhibitors. So just because they're over the counter doesn't mean they're completely safe. Always check with your physician and pharmacist if you go beyond two weeks. Let's go back to the phones. Back to the phones. We're going to talk to April in Otega, New York. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, April. Hi. I'm calling about a product that I used a long time ago. It's been off the market for probably a decade, and it was called Coldies in the form of small tablets that you would just melt under your tongue, and it was a um, cold uh, prevention thing. It, it really it really did work, um, and I recommend it to, to, to the patients that came to me as a massage therapist because I didn't want colds being floating around. Right. And it just disappeared from the market, and I called the company, and it just wasn't there. And then suddenly it appeared on the, in the uh, drugstores as a flavored cough drop, which was pretty disgusting flavors, I'm sorry to say. Um, but I, I didn't like the sugary um, element of that. Um, this was such a simple thing, and it really annoyed me that it disappeared from the market. And I, I would like to know if there's any place I can get anything that is like that. It was a um, um, a, a zinc gluconate. Right. It it was a a zinc product that was designed to be dissolved in the mouth. So, Doctor Ferrari, what else can April do? Well, first of all, cold ease still is available, as she said, as a kind of lozenge. It's a little sugary. It's sugary to cover up the taste of the zinc, zinc. which is pretty disgusting. <laughs> That's exactly right. Zinc is awful. It's effective, but it's awful. It um, is effective. <laughs> it's effective. So zinc usually taken at the first sign of a, a cold. Usually the scratchy throat is the first sign of a cold. And so if a someone has a, a scratchy throat and they start taking zinc usually every three to four hours in the form of the lozenge, it can um, heat off the cold a little bit more. But to April's point, and it, it does not taste good at all. And that's where that dissolving strip sometimes probably was more palatable probably because you didn't have it to have on your tongue so long and April I'll be honest with you I'm not exactly sure what if the formulation changed from the strip to the lozenge or if there was an active ingredient in the strip that was no longer available this is sometimes the problem with these OTC medicines that the formulations change the active ingredients change and when we come to like a product and then it goes away you're like what happened to it? What was it? And so I am not aware of the current strip, or if there is a strip, it probably has zinc in it. Um, and they have probably reformulated them to be the cold um, ease zinc lozenges, which you can still use. But to your point, um, the, the taste is sugary because it's trying to cover up the metallic taste of the zinc. I've got a question from Bev. She says, Flonase. What about it? 
Three days? I've been taking it for ages. Well, she was paying attention to us talking about nasal sprays and limiting the use of nasal decongestant sprays to three days. So Flonase is not a decongestant. Flonase is different. So Flonase is a corticosteroid, and Flonase actually helps. Um, it, so that that is different. It affects your nasal passages in a different way than a decongestant does. So it doesn't have those same worries of rebound congestion like we talked about with the other decongestant nasal sprays. So Flonase, you can take more than three to five days. Actually, that is one that's usually used again in seasonal allergies. So when we were talking about seasonal allergies before of using like a second generation antihistamine, actually Flonase is a really effective um, nasal spray that can help with seasonal allergies as well. And there's no worry about taking that longer than three to five days. Where to, my dear? Well, I think we're going to talk to Jackie because we've been talking a lot about colds. And after all, it is we're running into cold season. And Jackie has a question sort of about colds. Go ahead, Jackie, please. Good morning. Hello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I have two questions. One is I've had a bronchial cough for a couple of weeks, just won't seem to go away. I want to know if there's something over the counter that y'all might recommend for that. The other is I have a question about the prescription, and I think I'm saying it correctly, Tessalon pearls or cough. They have never worked for me. Do they work for other people? <laughs> well, you know, what I, a good question, Jackie. I, I, I promised about forty years ago I would never mention my children on the air, but my son loves Tessalon pearls when he has a bad cough. But we don't know what if is they it? actually um, have any data to support them. Do what, they? What's in it? Yeah, Tess, that's a great. So, Jackie, thank you for bringing that up because that's another. I shared the story earlier about um, patients that come in with phenylephrine saying, This doesn't work for me. I have the same story with Tessalon pearls. I have a mixture of some patients who are like, This works great. And I have other patients who are like, This doesn't work at all. So, there's something going on with those Tessalon pearls and how it works in our body. And we don't have enough studies to determine who it works for versus who it doesn't work for. And I think that that's something we need to to delve into a little bit further. I do want to also answer your question about your bronchial cough. That to me, there really is nothing non-prescription or over the counter that you probably should use. I would definitely probably tell you to follow up with your physician. I'm thinking you might need an inhaler or something that is more prescription if you're not already on one. So I would not use something over the counter for that bronchial cough. We do sometimes recommend Vicks VapoRub, but not on your chest, not in your nose. Oh, definitely not in your nose. On your feet. I know a lot of physicians go, what is he talking about? Right. Why, why would you put Vicks VapoRub on your feet if you have a nighttime cough, unproductive nighttime cough that's keeping you awake? I can't give you the exact mechanism. Terry thinks it's a Transient receptor potential channel M. Yes, I do. Which one is it? Trip M8, because that's the one that menthol hits. And uh, it turns out that we have and tried it and it works for us. Any thoughts about Vicks <laughs> on your feet? Vicks is one of those tried and true medications that sometimes, it, again, I've heard anecdotal evidence that it does work on your feet. There's not a great studies, but... 
it doesn't hurt to put it on your feet, put on some socks. It feels good and tingly. And who knows, maybe you'll get a good night's sleep. Now, Joe said, don't put it in your nose. We want to re-emphasize that. Do not put Vicks VapoRub or any kind of mentholatum or petroleum jelly of any sort in your nose because if you inhale the stuff, and you might, it can get into your lungs and your lungs don't have any way of dealing with it. It could be a problem. So you really don't want to do that. We are almost out of time. We want to thank you so much, but emphasize the importance of your pharmacist when dealing with over-the-counter medications. In the 30 seconds we have left, tell us why that's critical. So that, that that's what I want to make sure everyone walks away today to make sure you ask your pharmacist before you put anything in on in or on your body. And so active ingredients affect patients different ways. There's drug interactions, there's side effects depending on your age, whether you're pediatric or geriatric. And so please make sure that you talk to your pharmacist because they are the ones who know the medications the best and they can make sure the medications are most appropriate for you. Well, as Joe said, that is all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing your questions and your stories. And thanks to Dr. Stephanie Ferreri. She is the Henry L. Smith and James L. Olson, Ph.D., Distinguished Professor in Pharmacy Practice and Chair of the Division of Practice Advancement and Clinical Education at the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy. And I'll remind you that the UNC School of Pharmacy is the number one pharmacy school in the country, as ranked by U.S. News and World Report. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered The People's Pharmacy. Theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,360. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. You can email us your comments, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. If you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. It's an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. 
Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.